Good morning. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is where we'll be this morning. I was personally in the middle of one of the those dark crises of purpose and orientation that sometimes comes. Regardless of what your occupation is or, or what your work is, you probably have gone through that of, of what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Um, what is it going to look like for me to be successful in, in this realm? Like what gives it greater purpose than just an income or just spending time eight to five to get to the weekend? Um, going through that sort of of identity and also purpose kind of crisis. And as I was going through it, I was in my first pastorate. I'd only been pastoring for about two years at this point. And you think that at that point you've got great clarity and that you've got great sense of direction. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But a lot of pastors and a lot of other professionals confess that there is a disorientation that takes place when you step into a leadership role because in some ways you're, you're trying to understand what is it I'm supposed to be doing and is it this thing that I just invent? Did I just make this up as I go along? Did I decide what it means to be a pastor? And as I went through this, this deep kind of dark season for me personally of trying to get my, my footing, of feeling like I was failing, that I wasn't doing things well, feeling like, man, it, it, did I miss it? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing in life? God in his grace met me in a passage that helped me to see him. It, it helped me to see him as shepherd. And I want to take you to that passage as kind of a precursor before we read our text today. And so just while you remain seated, I want you to, to hear the passage that God took me to during this time of seeking and of trying to figure out when I was in the middle of my own kind of a crisis of purpose and what does it mean to be a pastor, the word of the Lord came to me. Verse one, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not, listen to verse 4, strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains, on every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was none searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God, because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal, and because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day, he is among his scattered flocks, so I will look for my flock. I, says the Lord, will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on the day of clouds and total darkness. 
I will bring them from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, strengthen the weak, and I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. And what God opened my eyes to see was in this indictment against the shepherds of Israel, these that were their leaders, that were to be tending them and guiding them and and protecting them, that they were exploiting them, that in this indictment was a clear job description for what a shepherd is. A shepherd strengthens the weak. A shepherd heals the sick. A shepherd bandages the injured. A shepherd brings back the strays. A shepherd seeks out the lost. And instead of ruling them with violence and cruelty, a shepherd rules and leads gently and with kindness as an example to the flock and with justice. And I cannot tell you how needed this passage was for this under-shepherd in a moment when I was having disorientation as to what does it mean to shepherd God's people, to know that God in his grace has declared, I will shepherd my people. I'm not the shepherd. I'm not the good shepherd. I'm not the one that lays down my life for the flock. There is one that has already done that, and his name is Jesus. That's what we believe, that is what we proclaim, is that we have one who is the good shepherd, and I and others that are set apart for this task of being an under-shepherd. Why under-shepherd? Because you're under the good shepherd. It's not my flock, it's God's flock. And as we walk through the scriptures today, we will understand how it is that the shepherd leads his sheep how it is that the shepherd fully revealed himself in the good shepherd and how it is that the good shepherd has ordained that his church will be shepherded today. And so I invite you now to stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 23 with this passage in mind of the nature of the shepherd. Hear a Psalm of David beginning in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. God, I thank you for your word. Most of all, I thank you that you are our shepherd. We have all that we need. Show us today just how much that means. Show us today just how that is 
intended to meet us in the middle of whatever we're going through. Show us today the good shepherd. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Psalm 23 leads with this, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, it's important for us to go ahead and acknowledge that we have a romanticized view of what this means. That in many ways, we've depicted this, and rightly so from other biblical passages, where where there's the depiction that, that, that the shepherd actually even carries the sheep. And so we have those images. And maybe even from the time that we were children and we were seeing the Bible illustrated, we began to form these pictures of just a very quiet man, maybe even a little bit advanced in age, that just kind of enjoys being with the sheep and is very tender with them and all of these images. And while there's an aspect to that, what makes sense of the text is that the shepherd, and when we look back at the, the use of shepherding imagery to describe God, is that he is the leader of his people. There's this twofold aspect that's going on is that he is the one that tends them. We've just looked at Ezekiel chapter 34 that makes so clear that he binds up the wounded, he heals the sick, he leads back the strays, he seeks out the lost, all of these things. That, that he himself does as shepherd, but he is the king. He, he is the leader over his people. In fact, even when King David is installed as king, he is called to shepherd Israel. He, he's called to be the leader of them. And so then it, it makes sense that when you turn over to Ezekiel 34, that the shepherds are not just hirelings out in the field. They're the leaders of God's people. And they're being indicted for this leadership failure. But here, when we read this, this is not just simply to be thought of as a passage that is just, you know, a, a minor metaphor in the Bible. It's not simply to be thought of as just something that applies when we're dying or when we have died. This is a very common go-to passage for many pastors, and for good reason. It speaks of the, the darkest valley. It used to be translated through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of your Bibles will read that way. But more precisely, we most likely would say it's the darkest valley, which certainly includes death itself. So the passage applies there. But when we understand that God is to be the leader of our lives at all times, our shepherd in every season, in the middle of whatever we're going through, the good days and the bad, then that begins to change everything about our understanding of self. We are sheep at all times. We've just sung about prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're, we're prone to stray. But there is one who is faithful, who seeks out the strays, who leads us, who protects us with his rod, but he also leads us with his staff. And so let's look at this passage together and to see the beauty of life under the shepherd. I want you to just see the beauty of the life under the shepherd. Understand that it is the beauty of the life under the shepherd that causes us to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. I mean, understand that what we're about to unpack in these moments together is what every man, woman, boy, and girl ultimately need. They need a shepherd. And why is that? Because we are all sheep. And we may be lost. We may have strayed. But there is this reality that we all need a shepherd. And that the hope of the gospel is that men, women, boys, and girls can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Because right now, something's shepherding you. 
Wake up to that. Something's leading you. Something is steering you. You're trusting something for protection, something for leadership. But it is those in Christ that can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Verses one through three speak of this. The shepherd leads. The beauty of the life under the shepherd is that the shepherd is leading. But notice how he, how he leads. Verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. To have your needs supplied in Christ. Paul says, I, I've learned the secret of contentment. I, I know what it is to have plenty. I, I know what it is to be in need. But he has found it all in Christ. He's found contentment in Christ. He has what he needs. This is not a promise that no Christian will ever miss a meal. This is not a promise that it always works out and justice is served for Christians in this life. It is not a promise that every time you have need of a situation to work out in a certain way, that it'll work out that way as long as you had enough faith. That is not ultimately what we need. What we need ultimately is, verse 6, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, as long as I live, for all of my days and into all of eternity, where justice will ultimately be given, where provision will ultimately be made. But we must be careful that we do not allow ourselves to fall into the trap that is very common in our culture today, that if you just have enough faith, if you'll just give enough money to your church, and it all works out for you. Everything will go your way. Instead, we have a deeper assurance. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Where does this shepherd lead us? He, he lets me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. And he leads me along the right paths. As we've been looking at Proverbs during this series together, there's often this binary of choice. There's, there's this path or this path. You can go this way or this way, the, the, the right way or the wrong way. And what the psalmist is being reminded of, the Lord leads me on the right path. It's not always the easiest one. We're gonna go through, even through the darkest valley. But when the Lord is leading, when the Lord is shepherd. He leads us along the right path. Why? For his namesake. My question for each one of us today is, who's leading? Are you looking to the shepherd to lead you in the specific areas of your life right now? Right now, in a decision that you're making, maybe about a job opportunity, maybe about a financial decision, maybe about a relationship, is the Lord leading? Can you say of that area, the Lord is my shepherd? If not, then your call, like your move at this point is to bring it under the Lordship of Jesus. It's to give it to him and say, Lord, you are my shepherd. And that means every part of me belongs to you. And so Lord, shepherd me in the right path in this decision and to do it for your name's sake. The beauty of the life under the shepherd is that the shepherd provides. We see it in verses 1 and 2. Green pastures would be food. Quiet waters would be refreshing. He renews my life. But then you look down to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. The shepherd provides. 
But the idea there is not just of that metaphor, but then all of a sudden we see ourselves at a table. And not at any table, but at the king's table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, David has real enemies. This is a real fight in his life. There are people that are really opposed to him. I don't know if I can get any amens at this moment in that one, but there are real enemies in this life. People that really don't like you. People that really want to see you fail. Who hope that things don't work out. Who are opposed to your marriage. They're opposed to your kids. They're opposed to your success in the workplace. They don't want to see you get the promotion. There are real enemies in this life. But this shepherd, who is our king, invites us to a table in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cup overflows. You see, cup and, and, and these identities, you know, like we see the cup of God's wrath poured out. The cup of God's blessing is poured out. I mean, that's what this is communicating. It's the complete opposite. Rather than getting his wrath, you have received his blessing, and he has invited you to his table. And not just once, not just as an honored guest, it goes into this idea of dwelling in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Because we see the beauty of the life under the shepherd is the shepherd leads, the shepherd provides, but then finally, the shepherd protects. Verses four through six, even when I go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Shepherds would have carried two implements, two things in their hands. One was a rod with which you could beat off those dangers, an animal attacking the flock. And then also your staff that you could use to gently bring the animals back together to lead a sheep where it needed to go. But both were of comfort because both were protecting. Take comfort, brothers and sisters, that the rod of God's wrath is firmly in the hand of Christ and he will one day deal with all of his enemies. You will be protected in this life. It may not look the way that you always want it to look. It may not always work out the exact way that you wanted it to work out, but his rod is not against you any longer. It is against his enemies protecting you in this life. But there is a staff, and there is a staff, the gentle nudge that you feel at times. There is the staff that he uses of his word in order to, to bring you back into that right path for his namesake. There is the staff that he uses of brothers and sisters in Christ. That, that exercise of what would be called church discipline is an idea of his staff leading you back. That this is why he has given these things. This is why he has given leaders to the church. This is why there are examples of deacons in this body to be that staff that keeps us together that ultimately is working for our protection and becomes a source of our comfort in this life. You see, the beautiful life under the shepherd is the life that any one of us should want. I mean, who here wants to be misled in this life? Who in this room ultimately wants to get to the end of life and say, I cannot believe that I lived under the delusion that this was the point of life, that, that, that I was supposed to give myself to this fully, and now I feel empty and bankrupt and I've wasted my life. Eric Treadaway, 
who was baptized just a few weeks ago and then, and then passed from this life into an eternity with God. He said, as we sat at the table after he had trusted Christ, I can't believe I've waited this long to give my life to Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is why we go. This is what people need. People thrive under a good shepherd. People's lives are enriched in every way. They're they're brought to green pastures. They're provided for. They're led beside still waters. They're restored. They, They receive life and nourishment and protection in this life. Who do you hate enough not to tell them about this? Who would you withhold that sort of good news from? People need this shepherd. People are longing for that sort of comfort and guidance because we all walk through dark moments. We all go through the deepest pain, whether it's the loss of a loved one, a a, a sickness that we're going through, a financial ruin, a wayward child. I mean, all of these things tear at our souls, at the very fabric of our being. And what we need is exactly what David is proclaiming. This is a, a psalm of worship. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, who's he saying to this to? He's saying it to himself. And can I tell you the most repeated psalm in my life, besides Psalm 1, is Psalm 23. That when I go for a a walk or I go for a jog or something like that, and I'm thinking about God's word, it is this psalm that comes to mind. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. That is how he shepherds, and that is how he loves. But you know what? This sort of shepherding relationship was reserved for Israel. The other nations did not know God as shepherd. They were distant from him. They were removed from him. They were considered to be the enemies of God. And even Israel herself, as we saw in Ezekiel 34, ultimately rejected the Lord as shepherd. Israel ultimately said to the Lord, we'll take leadership from Egypt. We'll take leadership from Assyria. We'll, We'll take leadership from Babylon. We'll take leadership from surrounding nations. Thanks. Israel ultimately said, we'll we'll trust Egypt to provide. We'll, We'll trust relationships with other neighboring nations to provide. We're good. Israel ultimately said, we'll we'll trust these allies, these relationships to be our protection in this life. We're good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even Israel. And while we should look and expect for the story just to end with the shepherd walking away with no sheep, what we instead see in John chapter 10 is this, the good shepherd coming and dwelling among us. John's gospel opens up with this reality of humility, of God coming and sending his one and only son to come and to live among us. And then he speaks a word to us about the reality of his shepherding role in our lives. He's speaking to Israel, to those who have rejected him. He is speaking to those who are in desperate need of God, the Lord, to be their shepherd. And then he says to them these words that would have had a ripple effect of of disorientation on one hand, these I am statements of Jesus, 
Because they've always known the Lord is my shepherd. That God shepherds his people. That he has told them in Ezekiel 34, I will come. I will come and shepherd my people. I will come and lead them. I will bring back the strays. I will heal their diseases. I will bind up their wounds. I will do it myself. I will bring justice. And then he comes. And when John sees him come and he says, behold, the the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the shepherd came in so many ways as a lamb prepared, prepared for slaughter. This is the great irony of the scriptures where these metaphors begin to mingle in all of these ways that the one who is himself the sacrifice is at the same time the one who says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And at once we begin to see that every time Jesus healed, he was fulfilling Ezekiel 34. Every time Jesus began to bind up the wounded among God's people, those that had been disillusioned by the religious leaders who were heaping rules upon rules upon them that they they themselves couldn't even carry, but it was killing the people. He was binding up their wounds. There was those that had strayed, and he began to bring them back. There were those that were lost, like one from the 99, that he went out to seek and to find and to bring rejoicing in heaven. And that shepherd is Jesus I want to speak to the one in this room right now that something else is leading you. There's something else that's shepherding your life. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see that Jesus is the one who has come from the Father in order to come and shepherd you. He is the only one. There is a definite article with that name, the good shepherd. It's so easy in this life. Please hear me. Young person, one of our students, Maybe someone, I don't know who it is exactly I'm speaking to in this moment, but I want you to hear, it is so easy to give a glance at Jesus and then get distracted with a good shepherd. It's so easy to give a glance at Jesus and then, and then to get into self-help and to find a voice that begins to help you. It is so easy in this life right now where you are inundated. There's so much pushed information into your life. Your phone is constantly grabbing your attention to show you something else. It's just push and push and push. But this, you have to pull. This, you have to open and to see. And what I want you to see in John 10 is this perfect, good shepherd who came and laid down his life for you. He's the one spoken of ultimately in Psalm 23. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the one that wants to lead you and provide for you and protect you. You need him to shepherd you. You say, what does that mean? That means you give your life to him. You say, Jesus, be the shepherd of my life. Just cry out to him. Ask him to shepherd you. Ask him to take your life and make it his own for your life to no longer be yours, but his. And that his life would now be in you. That Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. And when you cry out to him, he hears you every time. There is not a person who has ever cried out for salvation, forgiveness of sins, who did not receive it. So I encourage you, 
cry out to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to be the shepherd of your life, of your soul, of your mind, of your heart, of your, of your being, everything that you are. Because the, the beauty of the life of the good shepherd is this. Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for you, and the good shepherd is also the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And these realities are the truth that we need from John chapter 10. What does that mean now? What does that look like now? How does Jesus shepherd us? Because he's not here anymore. He's ascended into heaven. Acts chapter one records this moment where he leaves. And even his own people were like, no, we need you here. We need you to shepherd us. We need your presence. And he realizes that and he made a promise that I will be with you always. And he has made good on that promise by his Holy Spirit. He is with you. And he has also made good on that promise by calling qualified shepherds to shepherd his people. Humble men who will function as elders, as overseers over the flock. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, remember Peter who was told by Jesus after his resurrection, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. It is Peter that then says in 1 Peter chapter 5, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, the beauty of life together under, with godly under-shepherds is God's good design. You see, that's how I began this sermon, is speaking to you about what it means to be a faithful under-shepherd. That God wants for my life to manifest the character and the compassion and this consistency with who he is. Just as Jesus was one who would seek out the lost, I, as an under-shepherd, should be seeking out the lost. Just as Jesus in his earthly ministry was binding up the wounded, I, as an under-shepherd, should be binding up the wounded. All of these aspects should be obvious in an under-shepherd because this is God's good design for the flourishing of his church. You see, in large measure, the reason the church of Jesus Christ, even here in the West, is anemic, is weak, is, is flat and declining, is not simply just because people have more things to do. They're just busier than they used to be. In large measure, it's because there's not a strong sense among pastors, under shepherds, of what it is that we are to be about, about who it is that is ultimately shepherding us and who we will give an account to one day. But here at First Baptist New Orleans, we are committed to calling out the called in order 
to shepherd God's people. We acknowledge that there are gifted men and women in, who serve the body in a multitude of roles. So many of you in this room are volunteers who serve and do the ministry to which you are called. But what becomes abundantly clear in God's word throughout the New Testament is that God sets apart some in order to be overseers or elders or pastors to his flock. Humble men who are faithful in all things, who are exemplar, who will teach. And today we have the joy of being able to recognize one of our own that we have watched over the last two years of serving in this body. And his name is Noah Green. I'm gonna invite he and his wife, Brittany, and their daughter, Isetta, to join me up here for this moment. Thank you, Sadie. She is so cute. Guys, come on up here and join me. One of the realities that we acknowledge with what it means to ordain someone is this, is that ordination is something that the church acknowledges that God has done. In other words, God is the one who calls. It's not the church who calls, who says, hey, that's a, that's a good guy. Let's give him a, big, you know, a bigger responsibility, something like that. That's not the way it works. We are the, those that discern. And so this morning at 8 o'clock, a group of our deacons as well as some other ordained pastors met with Noah to spend time really talking about what we have observed in his life over the last two years. God's word cautions us about being quick to set someone apart for this type of ministry, not doing it to someone that's a recent convert, of giving us a criteria in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and over in Titus chapter 2 of what, what a pastor ought to look like. And so that ordination council comes to you today to bring a recommendation that we as a church acknowledge that Noah Green is set apart for the gospel ministry to serve God's people as an under-shepherd, as a pastor. But that's not just something that the ordination council can make that decision on. That is for you, the members of First Baptist New Orleans, to, to acknowledge and to affirm. And so in this moment, I'm gonna invite you that if you are a member of First Baptist New Orleans, that if you would affirm that you have seen the qualifications that God's word makes clear, that you have seen the wisdom and the ability to teach God's word in Noah, and you would affirm today that you sense with this ordination council that he is called to gospel ministry as a pastor would you say amen? And if you are opposed to that, then I invite you in the same moment to simply say no. No, your church family affirms what we have seen God do in you and how he's called you. As one who has a daughter in the youth group, I am thankful for a godly couple, for you and Brittany both. Brittany, thank you for laboring in the same way that I've witnessed Noah of pouring your life into young ladies, of teaching them what it means to be a godly woman and a godly mother. And Isaiah, we love you too. And so in this moment, I'm gonna invite Noah and Brittany to come down here. And if you're one of our students today, I'm gonna invite you to participate in this time as well. But I'm gonna invite um, Noah's parents to come and join us as well. You guys come on over here. Noah's dad is also a pastor. 
And then for any others in the room today, uh, any other of our deacons, uh, other ordained ministers, as well as our students, I'm going to invite for you guys to come up here and join me. And we're going to gather around Noah and Brittany, and we are going to pray over them. A precedent for such an action is seen in Acts chapter 13, where the church was discerning that God had set apart Paul and Barnabas for a missionary journey. And so they gathered around them and they laid their hands on them and they set them apart for this ministry. So we're all going to gather around right here, put our hands on them. You guys can come up around the back right here as well. Hey, Johnny. All our students. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word and how it makes so clear that you are our shepherd. You have given Christ Jesus as the good shepherd to lead his people, but by his decision, by his will, he has ordained that there would be under shepherds in the church to care for God's flock. So Lord, we thank you for this one that you have set apart for this task. Thank you for Noah and for Brittany and Isetta. I thank you for bringing them to New Orleans to study at the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Thank you for opening the door for him to come and to serve with First Baptist New Orleans, how you led him in that direction and how we have benefited from your work in his life and the filling of your spirit that has been poured out through faithful ministry to our students and in compassion ministry in our city. God, we affirm today that we sense your your calling on his life to pastor. And so, Lord, in this moment, we pray that in every way that he could be conformed into the image of Christ, that he would, both in his personal and family life, but also, Lord, in his ministry and his public life. So, God, we thank you. We pray that his life would be clean, his marriage would thrive, he would be a godly father to his children. We pray that he would be a wise pastor, one who proclaims boldly your word, who does the work of an evangelist, who fights the good fight, who stands firm in the faith, and that he would do everything in love. So, Father, we thank you for this one. We set him apart today, acknowledging, God, that it is you that is, is the one that sets apart. And so we affirm your movement, your spirit's leading in his life. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.